Hello, everyone. A warm welcome to um, all of you from Intersections, where inner mastery meets outer impact. For today, I have a um, privilege of getting us to connect with one of the most powerful journeys of a that I do in my study and my work is to, in fact, study these great figures from history. And some time back, I encountered the work and the life of Mother Teresa. And I realized after getting a glimpse into her work, how incredibly, not just inspiring, but instructive in a very practical way her story is, both for life and for leadership. Now, let's start just with, with the basics about who we're talking about here. Mother Teresa is one of the most remarkably recognized figures in modern history. In 1999, in a Gallup poll, she was voted as the most admired person of the last 100 years as the century was coming to an end. In America, she was nominated by Time magazine as one of the 100 people, you know, through history, forevermore in the past, who have changed the world. She won the Nobel Prize, of course, in peace as well. She started an organization from scratch, and from those very grassroots moments, she built it to have a vibrant presence in 130 countries with 4,500 very devoted nuns in that Missionaries of Charity. And today, we have the opportunity to also gain our own inspiration and guidance from this world-changing figure. We're going to get this through the vehicle, through the agency of one of the most wonderful spirits that I have had the privilege and pleasure of knowing. And that is Jan Petrie. Jan is an Emmy award-winning producer and was privileged to make a documentary on the life of Mother Teresa. So on that note, it is a distinct pleasure for me to invite into our midst, Jan Petrie. Jan, warm welcome. Join us on screen. Thank you, Hitindra. That was quite a nice, lovely welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Jan, I've known you for some time now. And what I want to just invite the audience to take away from our conversation is, yes, it's it's the words, it's the ideas, it's the stories that we're going to be thrilled to hear from you today. But it's also the spirit, the spirit of Mother Teresa and the spirit of how you have absorbed and connected with her energy. And so you're all in for a big treat, guys. <laughs> so again, <laughs> big warm welcome to you, Jan. Thank you. I want to start by just um, having us think about the relevance of a figure like this for today's time. We are going through such a tectonic period of tumult and turbulence. And many of us are seeking and wanting to do good, to do good in our communities, to do good at work, to do good in our families. But it also gets very overwhelming when you think about the scale and scope of that task. If Mother Teresa was, if she was like with us here today, how would she have faced up to this, this challenge? Well, that's a big question. In my experience of mother, mother always began where she was. And she was very fond of saying also small things with great love. See what you can do and start doing. So her start line was always right now at the present, whatever was wanted and needed at the moment. I witnessed her. She, In other words, she just looked in the present to see what was wanted and needed. And that's what she did. There's a lot of power to that. I remember there was a there was a quote from her once where she said something like, um, I, I like to just be like like a stone, you know, that you can like throw into the lake. And then then there are all these ripples that happen. And yeah. um, maybe what I do is only a drop in the ocean. But without the without that work, it, the ocean would be one less drop. So yeah. she never measured 
what she was doing. She did what was ever in front of her and uh, what was ever wanted needed. And uh, she used to say, again, small things with great love. It's not how much you do. It's how much love you put in the doing. That was a very famous, uh, wasn't a saying, it's something she lived by. So whatever she did, she did with great love. And actually what she really did was small things. When you really look and examine her life and things that became monumental, she was doing small things. She began by feeding one hungry person. She began by picking up one dying person off the street. She didn't have this plan to say, okay, let's build an ashram where we'll take in thousands of people. She just went and found that one person and began with that one person. So all through her life that I witnessed her in the 15 years that I spent a great deal of time with her, it was always one, 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 that one single thing. Okay, I want to I unpack that a little bit because there are some profound implications of what you just said in not just life, but in leadership. So, so are you saying that she, she would not, like, for example, kind of be driven by some kind of a three-year plan, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan of growth and of sort of metrics and steps in projects? Yeah, yeah, I kind of think that she defied all every business plan and every all the basis of, of of a normal how one sets out their life. First and foremost, she was she was a nun. She was a Roman Catholic nun. So she lived by her vows. So that was one aspect of her life. And then within that life, there is what you call an apostolate. And what that means is what kind of work are you going to do? How do you live out those vows? And for hers, it was to serve the poorest of the poor. And so it began very small in Calcutta. And then that work just grew and it grew. It just drew attention. She never called. She never one time ever in her life ever called a press conference. She never, ever, ever had like a bio that she sent out. She just did it. And what happened is it drew attention. One person began looking and said, you know, what are you doing? And she said, and they said, well, I'll help you. You know, the first the first girls who joined her were her students when she was a former teacher. And so going to leadership, mother had one primary um, common denominator. She led by example. She did the doing. And it drew people. Yeah. Just to close that topic out, because I just find it so striking. Are you saying that she would, in perhaps the early stages of her work, and I realize that you got to know her at a certain phase, but from the stories you've heard, you know, about uh, her path, you know, at that point, and then certainly you've seen the work grow even during your time there. Are you saying that she, she wasn't sort of like painting an ambitious vision that, folks, here is where we are today, but tomorrow this work is going to grow in this way, and that's our goal, our mission to like scale up, you know, all of those things that we hear about, even not just in business, but even in the world of social enterprise and social impact, there are all these like change a billion lives kind of like aspirations that um, I, I hear people have all the time in, in, in business schools and, and other such like parts of our university. Too. So, yeah, I mean, what was that not part of her kind of advanced vision? I never saw that. What I saw was no matter, and I traveled to dozens and dozens and dozens of countries. I was part of her beginning formations in many parts of the world generally where there was great suffering and difficulty. And when she went, she looked to see what was wanted and needed. And so who is taking care of the old people? Who's taking care of the unwanted? Who's taking care of the handicapped? She always began small. Their homes that she operated and they continue today, it's not small. She always said, if I didn't start with the soup kitchen 
she started feeding like whoever could come, 12, 10, 15 people. And pretty soon it was hundreds. And pretty soon it was thousands. Pretty soon it was hundreds of thousands. But it was never her plan. And, uh, you know, she just did. And then what happened in the work, what was so remarkable and so amazing about her, she never, never, never wanted the attention. She never tried to attract attention. She just did the work. And she did it with so much love. That's what drew the attention. And people came. People wanted to be a part of that. It's, it's beautiful. This uh, conversation is called Intersections because I just love to find paradoxes in life and leadership. One yeah. of the paradoxes that we've just established here is Think about all those luminous achievements that I was talking about, Nobel Prize and Time 100 and Gallup poll and all of that. And you were saying that she was never even attracted to those things and she was never even invested in those things, which is which is powerful. You know, we're living in a world which on the you know, I, I see two kind of like almost like opposing you know forces. On the one hand, there's a sense of inclusive unity, this dissolving of geographic and national boundaries and things. And yet, on the other hand, there are these big divisions that are rife right now within a nation, let's say the United States, you know, let alone across national boundaries. And, yeah. and when I think of Mother Teresa, there are a couple of aspects you know, to her profile. The fact that she was a devout Christian, the fact that, in fact, she was she was a Catholic, right, which to some people would suggest that she was she was sitting here in her community and then there was the rest of the world because that's how these religious divisions and boundaries have been right. at times expressed or experienced by people. Yeah. When you say that she said for every Hindu, Muslim, Christian Jew, I mean, are you, you know, are you able to share stories or examples in a very concrete way of how she really had this very expansive heart? Well, to her, every single person was a child of God. And so this time for her, if mother were here now, this would be, this is so relevant to how she lived. Because right now we all find ourselves in this commonality. We are all kind of, I don't want to use the word imprisoned, but we're all kind of sheltering in place because of this thing. When has there been something where the whole world has had this common experience? And mother lived every day that way. That's how, so when I go out, I expect to see everybody in a mask. I go out, I expect to see everybody in gloves. When mother went out, she just saw the same always in everyone. She saw a child okay. of God. Yeah. And, she, and people responded to that. She looked at uh, people just lit up. There's a story, I think I've shared it with you before. Anywhere in the world, and I've been to many, many, many countries with her. And very often somebody would say, oh, mother, you look like my mother. Or, oh, mother, you look like my grandmother. Or, oh, mother, you look like this. And it was so funny. We'd be in the most bizarre countries and people would say that. So one day we were going into Vietnam and we were in Vietnam and mother was looking to, uh, there were children who were victims of Agent Orange and they were handicapped. They were this. And so mother, there was a need. So mother was looking, you know, she would provide that home for these children. And we had to deal with this general, communist general in Hanoi. And everyone said he was really tough. Mother, you're going to have a hard time dealing with him. He's not going to go along with this. He wants them to stay in the state-governed, state-operated institution. So I said, well, Mother, I said, at least here in, Viet in Vietnam, nobody's going to say you look like their mother. And uh, just for the obvious physical reasons. So anyhow, we go into this small room and in comes this young, actually very attractive general. He was probably about 40-something years old. And we expected a much older person. He came in kind of very serious and tough. And he looks at mother and he says, 
oh, mother, you look like my grandmother. And <laughs> I couldn't believe it because there's no way she could look like. And mother said, Acha, very good. Then you have to help your grandmother. And this is what mother wants. Mm -hmm. And there we went and there she got it. And there we were able to put it was later. I didn't really realize it then. I just laughed at the moment or I smiled. But I realized that mother wasn't really looking like these people. But I think his grandmother looked at him with love in her eyes. Mm. And I think people's, their parents or their loved ones, when you look at someone you love, that child feels that love. And I think that's what he was responding to. And I think it, it came to me that that's what everybody was responding to. She really didn't look for that. But that love that she emanated that came out to her, I think that's what people were responding to. I, uh, I get goosebumps every time I hear that story. It's just, um, it's just so powerful. It was making me also think about, Jan, how you know, when you talk about having to go out with masks today, in some ways it really sort of curtails the human-to-human -human experience and the human-to-human -human touch. And yet, on the other hand, when you think about what you just said, there was so much love that was pouring forth from her eyes. Maybe we should take hope and uh, see possibilities, even in a, let's say, temporarily masked kind of social environment that we may have to be in. That, guys, this doesn't mean that you don't at least let love pour out from your eyes, <laughs> you know, because the eyes to eye contact is still there. And we're all stuck at home. And this reminds me because mother, one of her theme songs, her go-to, she, she didn't have many topics. She kind of repeated. We used to say she was a Johnny One Note because yeah. she just kept, she lived by and continued to say and share the same things. And what she would say, love begins at home. Love begins at home. And mm. you cannot give what you do not have. Mm. And so she would always say, begin in your own family. And love them. And sometimes the poorest of the poor are right in your own family. And she often would say this too, uh, particularly of the West. She'd say, oh, you give somebody a piece of bread and it's easy to feed them to meet that hunger. But she said the greatest poverty and the greatest hunger is to be unwanted and unloved, to feel unwanted, to feel unloved. And in, she says that is the greatest poverty of the West. So many people feel thrown away, abandoned, unwanted, unloved. And Mother would say, this at this moment, if there's nothing else we can do, we can express our love to someone in our home, in our neighbor, in our community. You know, the person you pass in the elevator with the mask, just something. So yeah. I think that's very that's very typical of Mother. It's beautiful. I, I think one lesson I'm drawing from that is not to worry about the scale at which you're loving, but to kind of like worry more about the quality of loving that you're bringing to every moment? Is that, is that fair? Yeah, she would say, you know, first of all, she lived completely in the present, completely in the present. And she dealt, when I, at the time of her death, she had homes in more than 125 countries. And many of the worst spots in the world, where there was famine, starvation, war, revolution. Um, and so her aim was always to take care of those people who have no one and nothing. And those were her people. She didn't call them the poor. She called them our people. Yeah. Our and so she claimed them. She says, let us find our people. And, yeah. and so that's how they felt love. And by the way, when they presented her with the award before her speech, they presented it and said, I can't quote it exactly, but they said, you know, there are many, many people who do wonderful things in the world. There are many people who are doing wonderful charitable acts or what have you. But 
mother was presented the Nobel Peace Prize because she was doing, she gave this work. She served the poor in such a way that she elevated their dignity, that the dignity of the poor and of the sub were elevated by her work and her sharing. So there's a, there's a terrible expression called a coldish charity. And what mother did is when she gave something to somebody, she wasn't just giving them a piece of bread. She was loving them and they felt that. And then they rose, they had, they became someone. When you're loved, you are somebody. And what she, when we talk about love in action, we're not talking about her love in action. What she's talking about is God's love in action. Because she always said, God loves the world through you and through me. So love in action is God's love in action. It's his gift. And that, again, my brother, my sister. Ah, so beautiful. So beautiful. The qualities of Mother Teresa as a leader. So we've seen a lot of powerful human qualities in her from what you've shared. It's just such an exemplar of love. We have seen, you know, such powerful qualities of her as a saint. Now, if you turn to her as an institution builder, as the um, inspiration and guide of a movement, as a people manager, all those things we think about as leadership. What would you what would you say were one or two very distinctive things that people who are aspiring to be great leaders, especially at a time like this, you know, that, that they could take away from, from her story? I mean, very simply, mother uh, led by example, and she walked the walk and talked the talk. She there was no second side to her. Anything she said, she did. You know, it's a simple thing, like even a simple thing, like in the comment, they get up at 440 in the morning. She was the first up. If they had to be at a certain place at a certain time, she was the first one there. So she simply led by example, always, always. And it was a very interesting thing. We were in this one country, there was a coup d'etat, kind of a revolution turned out to be a coup d'etat. And the country was in shambles, it was in Eastern Europe. And we went into the, mother was invited in, and we went in and the place was just unbelievable. It was really, there was rioting in the streets and uh, there were some handicapped children that no one was taking care of, but mother wanted to take these children. Anyhow, mother just went in, saw the problem. See, she was so clear. There was no other agenda other than to serve those poorest to the poor. So when she went in, we got these children and we came out. I mean, it was just a remarkable story. Afterwards, two days afterwards, the acting uh, minister of health came into the, to the room and he was just mesmerized by what had just happened, what he had witnessed. She had gone into this home. She had picked up these children. She organized buses. She brought this in. We had to go to an old gymnastic field to bring these children. We took this old dormitory. I mean, it just began. She began. She didn't wait for a great building. She didn't great to have cribs. She says, no, we'll take these children now. And we took them out, we put them on blankets, and then everything began to come. Everything began to come and put together. So she didn't wait for the right circumstances. She acted, and the circumstances built around instantly. And so this prime, the, the acting minister of health, he said, Mother, from where do you get your power? And Mother looked at him and she went, <laughs> I get it from him. She said, only a little pencil in his hand. So... Mother was all about serving. 
And she took those, those words that you heard. I was hungry, you gave me to eat, I was naked. So wherever she was in the world, that's what she was doing. One thing I noticed, and it's actually been a transformational learning for me, is that even when she was serving in very inclement conditions, in terms of the, you know, the kind of physical and other forms of deprivation that the underprivileged that she was really holding to such a high pedestal and kind of um, serving with such respect that she was infused with with love and with joy. So this this notion that you're you're doing some of the hardest work, but you're not letting it, I don't know, like pull you down to the point where you get so feel to feel so much awkwardness and discomfort with the pain of the people that you're serving. Instead, you are in fact infused with joy. It almost seems like a contradiction. Can you speak to that? Well there are like two things. I can give you a couple of examples because you have to remember what mother said once we were in Moscow and they said, they said, oh, Mother Teresa, we are the same. You are, we are communists and socialists and what you are doing is similar. Mother says, no, yeah, but not exactly the same. She said, you are you're doing something for somebody. We are doing it to somebody. And she goes back to the gospels where uh, Christ had said, I was hungry, you gave me to eat. I was naked, you clothed me. Whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. So mother was a woman in love. She was like an 18-year-old girl in love. And when you love somebody, you have that joy. You're serving that person whom you love. And her love was Christ, God. So that everything else was secondary. That was It was all what she was doing, full stop. But what, what was unique about her in her service is that she didn't divide. Uh, For example, she would often say, I love all religions, but I'm in love with my own. And she she just didn't see divisions. When we were in Beirut, in our film, you see the scene of a film. So, I mean, the war was going on, bombs were going on. In the West Beirut at the time, bombings were taking place. There was no food, there was no water, there was everything. In the East, there was a divided wall. Mother went in, found out that there were some children, uh, Palestinian children who had been abandoned and they were handicapped. There was no food, no supplies. So we had this meeting and mother met with all the officials. And for whatever reason they came, they came to her. She says, now I want to go and take these children. You know, maybe there were a dozen. And these are forgotten children. People are looking at the big picture, but her work was the small picture. So she went in and they risked lives. They said, mother, they're killing quite a few people. She says, you know, all for God, all for Jesus. That's, we have to go in and begin. So they said, but there's bombs. She said, no, I'm, I'm praying. I'm asking for a ceasefire. Well, people looked at her like she was mad. And actually she had this novita going. And on that day there was a ceasefire and mother did go in. And what she did is she picked up these she wanted to open a home there, but the head of the United said, mother, you're just going to become part of the problem because there's no supplies. So she said, okay, we'll bring those children to the East. Now these are Muslim children that she wanted to take care of and bring into a Christian sector in East Beirut. And so we did. So what she did is she brought in these handicapped, abandoned Muslim children, brought them into the East, and she had these Christian ladies come in and help take care of the daycare of it. And then she called the Israeli doctors who were bombing that side to come in and help take care of these children. 
So, and then the press who were always the soreness for her because she never wanted publicity. She, when they came and they wanted to take pictures, mother said, you know, we need nappies and we need milk. And so everybody, so here was everybody who was at war all coming together to help these dozen children who were completely helpless. And everybody was sharing that love. There was just no division. So that was very typical of everything she did. Ah, how beautiful. Thank you so much for such an evocative picture, you know, that you've just, uh, you know, shared with us. And I know this is also, um, like you said, it's also there in your film. So I encourage all of us to really get this, uh, get this film when, when shipments are starting to come back to your homes. If you, if, if you're being uh, in some quarantine mode where, where direct delivery is hard right now, I know it's available on Amazon. And Jen, are you uh, open to sharing... <laughs> One of the treasure chests of personal stories you have about how she changed you? You know, Mother was uh, in the very beginning when we started, my sister and I, we met Mother because of my brother, who was a priest in India doing leprosy work. Uh, my sister and I went to India. We made a short film with David Susskind. A couple of years later, we went, we were decided to do this major film. And because she, she was the most widely recognized woman in the world, she was the most awarded woman in the world, but nobody really knew her story. Nobody really knew who she was, what, she, what was she about? So, and she'd won the Nobel Prize. So we set out to make this fabulous story. And we, I thought it would take about a year and um, it's ended up to be about a 30 year process. <laughs> but at any rate, in the beginning, we were in the convent and I thought, I'm going to be spending a lot of time with her. I can't be pretending something not. We weren't we weren't nuns. We weren't we were there to make a film. In fact, we didn't even want to mention God. And uh, we had all professional Academy Award winning crews and all of this. So I'm in this room with Mother and knowing we'd be spending time. And people were always kind of on their best behavior. And so I said to Mother. I said, Mother, I'd like to say something. And Mother says, Acha, what is that? And I said, well, Mother, and at the time, don't forget, this is like 30 years ago. And I said, you know, Mother, well, um, I smoke. <laughs> and at the time, I did. And But it seemed to be a metaphor for so much more. You know, it was like, and Mother looked at me like this, and she got up. And she got up and left the room. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm toast, finished. And and I was very proud of myself. I thought, well, I was very upfront. I was direct. I was going to be who I am and all of this. And about two minutes later, the curtain opens and out comes mother. And in it, she was carrying this little saucer. And she came up to me and she said, Jen, would this be all right? An ashtray. And I just melted. I just went down to the floor. I just couldn't. I could hardly lift my eyes. And I said, yes, mother, that would be, that would be fine. And then, you know, that was it. That was it on me. And that humility and that, I mean, just today, even that moment is so present to me. And that just personified everything in her, the reverence she had for everyone. There was no judgment. There was just only love. And I, and then sometime later, you know, I completely stopped smoking. So, but that was, yeah. But that was one little experience that um, impacted. And again, uh, this began as a one year. And uh, just to share one other thing, because I was on this point, when my sister and I were making this film, and again, we all pros in the business and our crews had, he went on to do a Madonna film afterwards and this and that. 
And our, uh, we said, well, let's don't mention God. We have this dynamic, wonderful person who is really doing incredible things in the world. Nobel Prize winner, all of this. We'll just capture everything, but not God. And in a year of editing, uh, it just was not coming together. We it, we had the most compelling footage. We had the most compelling elements, but it just wasn't coming together. And then we realized it's a lie. And what was the lie? The lie was you could not separate Mother Teresa from God because everything she did, everything she said, everything, her entire source and what drove her, what motivated was that. And so we just got out of the way. And once we got that, everything came together because... We weren't, we weren't trying to, and she doesn't try to. People talk about proselytizing or anything. That's never been her thing. She just does. And when she does, it attracts. But that's her source. There was a senator. One guy came to Calcutta, and she brought them to the house of uh, the children's home. She brought them to the they have a home for the mentally handicapped. She took, and then she took them to the soup kitchen where they were feeding people. And he said, you know, Mother, this work you're doing, do it if you paid me a million dollars. And Mother looked at him and said, and neither could I. You know, she was yeah. doing it for her love of God. And she was loving people through that. So, Jan, talk to us a little bit about the continuation of your work with her. So you, you made this film. You ended up going beyond the film to serve her during uh, her own physical presence here. And then what? What have you been doing in the decade since? The, the short answer, Hitindra, is, you know, first of all, it took five years for my sister and I to make this film. And the film ended up winning a lot of awards. And after we won the Soviet Peace Prize, our film actually brought Mother Teresa. We, I said, Mother, this time you're with us. After us following her over five years in 24 locations and five continents and 10 countries, I said, Mother, now you're with us. So the film actually helped to bring her into the Soviet Union. And then Mother was awarded the Soviet Peace Prize as well. And so afterwards, then Mother asked me, we were finished and I thought I was done. And then she asked me, she wanted to go back. She said, are you, are you able to come? I said, yes. So anyway, that continued for 10 years. And I began in that period of time as she was going into mostly these terrible country, war situations, horrific environments and situations just to help those. So. What I began to see, and it was a slow thing for me as well, is that, you know, this is something very sacred and precious. And so we had about 250 hours of content and media, which nobody has seen. And also we had many offers to sell this, sell two minutes, three minutes. We thought, wait a minute, this is something really sacred here. And this is something that we have to keep for posterity because it's one of the first times in history that we have a kind of a witness to listen and hear a saint in their own words. So uh, we kept this collection and now we're working on something that's called Mother Teresa Love in Action. And we are taking this collection and putting it into the highest digital format so it's future forward and creating a multimedia interactive archive. So that gives you all of the information of the who, what, why, where, when. So for future generations, they'll have this. And our goal is to protect the integrity and authenticity of her words and actions and make them available for future generations. So we call it a sacred saint. It's a precious gift for the future. So that's our little offering. So mother used to say, and I'll leave you with this. 
you know, it didn't matter if you were a president or a prime minister or king or whatever it was, she said the same word. And she used to say, you know, what you can do, I cannot do. And what I can do, you cannot do. But together, we can do something beautiful for God. What yeah. can our audience expect, you know, in terms of getting access to some of this like priceless, priceless film that you have developed? Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, we're at PetriProductions.com. I mean, that's just now to get the films. They are available. We are in the process now of doing that. And hopefully we would like to re-release the films. Hopefully, you know, it'd be a good time. I'm, uh, we're making inquiries right now to re-release the films. We are working hard to it's a costly project. So funding is always an issue and we don't fundraise. Mother never, ever, ever fundraised. Um, you never saw anybody say send money or anything. And we honor that. We don't do that either. And um, so we, it's, a, it's been a long and arduous process. And uh, Mother used to have this wonderful expression, don't worry, God is not going to go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just keep with that. So right now the films are available on Amazon. You get the, they come by mail. And hopefully we will have it available in, um, in a digital format for downloads. And hopefully within the new future, Love and Action will come to fruition and uh, people will be able to have access to uh, these priceless words and thoughts of Mother Teresa. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you, you mentioned that uh, she did not fundraise. Um, just so that um, our audience is clear, what you're saying from that is that it wasn't sort of like publicly kind of communicated or solicited. But if anybody wanted to, you know, of their own heart, like wanted to kind of like offer up some funds to support the work, Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you know, yeah. in the what was interesting is she was so amazing. She in the beginning they did do fundraising like any organization because co-workers came in and they said, Oh, Mother Teresa, you have to do this, you have to do this. And she started. And then mother stopped because for many reasons. One is the co-workers would come in, they would have meetings, and it would be about who's giving the money, who's doing that. And there was division. Those who could no, Mother said, stop, I never want money given at meetings. I don't want any. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, divine intervention, whatever. She said, no more fundraising whatsoever, none. And then you know what? More money came in. When she stopped the fundraising, more funds began coming in. It was yeah. just unbelievable. So that's how she worked. I used to get telexes. You know, in those days, we had telexes instead of email a lot. And... I used to say to mother, mother would be silent and going like this. And I'd say, mother, are you getting a telex? Meaning her divine, you know, whatever inspiration she was getting through prayer. So that's what she did. Unique policy. Jan, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know I speak on behalf of our audience as well, who I know are going to do their own expressions of gratitude. But I want to thank you for um, really helping us uh, break into some new ground by bringing to life such a powerful figure in modern history. You know, you talk about her as a great saint. You know, I was privileged through your uh, invitation to, you know, be at that place where she was canonized. And I remember just feeling so incredibly struck that, A, what I knew from the recent history, that she was made a saint in record time in modern history. But the other thing which was very unique is that, um, in you know, loving contrast to some of the other recent um, acts of canonization, she represented a, a figure that was so universal in terms of the appeal that uh, it was like a celebration that you saw happen around the globe. And with everything that you've shared, it is just incredible how 
in that selfless way, in that small way and humble way with all the serving that she was doing, that she ended up like really showing the world the incredible power of that kind of inner force, that inner charisma, you know, that operating from that inner core. Do you have any sort of final words of, um, you know, oh, by the way, before you do that, can I, can I extract a commitment from you to join us again on a future episode yeah. of Inner Sessions? Because I just see this as the end of the beginning, <laughs> not anything more than that in our conversation with you about such a, such a beautiful figure. Thank you. Well, I hope and I hope there's more to share about uh, our project Love in Action. And uh, we invite that. We invite anybody who uh, is interested in that. They can write to you, write to us, and we'll keep you posted as how that is progressing. And, um, you know, and thank you. It's just been a great pleasure to be here with you and to share with uh, the students. It's always a pleasure at Columbia Business School in the retreat weekends. And uh, this is a new format. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Jan. I'm going to allow you to step back into your, into your beautiful world. Take care. Bye-bye.